Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, equipping us to grow into a deeper walk with Christ. Part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Something doesn't make sense here because earlier he tells us to love our enemies. So let me get this straight. We love our enemies but hate our family and friends. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, we're continuing Pastor Jeff's sermon called A Remarkable Calling. It's based in the book of Mark and he'll share more with us about what being called by Jesus Christ really means, what that means for our lives here on earth and our new lives in heaven. Let's jump into it now. This is Today with Jeff Vines. The same Bible, the same Word, the same Savior, the same Jesus that tells us there's going to be an infection of the Spirit in us to give us power to overcome, tells us in the same way that our bodies cry out, please help me, please give me a new one, please do something, I'm falling apart. And we groan, the Bible says in Romans 8, please help. He says that the creation does the same thing, that the planet, he personifies it to help us understand that the created world cries out, please restore me too. Bring me back to the original. So while all these faith systems and religions talk about the destruction, Jesus talks about renewal and restoration, not only of you and someday your body, but also this planet on which we live. Look at verse 21 of Romans 8 says, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So one day the shackles the creation feels, the created world feels will be loosed and it will be able to operate as it was originally intended to operate in perfect harmony and community with you and me. Now, let me give you a practical illustration to kind of bring this together quickly. When I used to run marathons, okay, I ran one marathon. <laughs> when I was training in New Zealand, man, I would come in and you know, when you, if you, you know, you're supposed to carry water with you, right, when you train. Who wants to carry a jug of water for 22 miles if you're running a long distance? So you're supposed to pick points where you stop and you can get water. Well, I didn't do a very good job of that. So usually I'd come in dehydrated, really, really thirsty. Nothing cures my thirst. Nothing like opening the fridge and grabbing the carton of low-fat chocolate milk. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. There's nothing better than low-fat chocolate milk. And man, I would open up that fridge and you talk about swigging. And you know, we men, we don't pour it in a glass. When the wives aren't looking, we just chug it right there in the carton. Everybody knows that. It's time for us to come clean. And so I pull it open. I just take this big chai and I just start swigging it, man. It's just going down. Now, on this one occasion, I came in, I did that. It's feeling good. It's really nice and cold going down the esophagus. You know, it feels good. And then it dawned on me after I probably had half of it just all in one take, 
this chocolate milk is sour. (laughs) And I want to tell you, as soon as the chocolate milk went down, it was coming back up. And I mean, through my nose and my eyes and everything else, because the chocolate milk had been tainted. Now, I want you to think about something. Now, it's a silly little example, but it really works. Think about it. Chocolate milk in and of itself is good. When it's tainted, it loses its effect. The Bible says that you and I have been tainted because of sin, so we've lost our effect, but also the created world, which was meant to serve us and to give us so much good, has also been tainted by sin in the world. And one day, he's not going to destroy the planet, nor you or me. He's going to renew us. We're going to be given new bodies. And the thing about these new bodies, they're going to be conducive to the new world, new planet. Now, what does that mean? I don't know exactly, except that some of us think that the whole world's going to burn up, the atmosphere is all going to be destroyed. There is a sense in when it is renewed, renewed atmosphere, the heavens, renewed earth, read Revelation 21. But the beauty of it is that they'll cooperate with each other now, which means I love the ocean, but the ocean can kill you, especially if you don't swim well like me. I mean, I sink right to the bottom. But think about swimming in the ocean. Just think about swimming in the ocean and not having to come up for air. Swimming with the dolphins and the whales, where creation no longer hinders you, but gives you experiences that just go on for infinity. Think about being able to travel through the galaxies because you're no longer limited by this physical body. You can visit planet and other, all the God's creation that we don't even know is still out there. The Bible says, no, it's not the destruction of all things like religions talk about. Jesus says it's the renewal of all things. And even though in Romans 8, 18, the Bible says that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Even though we suffer here, the glory that's coming is unfathomable. So that Tim Keller says in his book on which this series is based, King's Cross, the good news of the kingdom of God is that the material world God created is going to be renewed so that it lasts forever. And when that happens, you'll say like Jewel at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, I've come home at last. This is my real country. This is the land I've been looking for all of my life. So there's a second distinction. The gospel is not the pronouncement that God is going to destroy the earth, but instead that he's going to renew and restore his creation. Now there's a third distinction. Stay with me. Go back now down to 16 in chapter one. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now here's a serious distinction. I need you to follow me here. And for those of you who, maybe this is a surprise, I want you to really do some introspection and find out, discover if this is where you are in your life with the real Jesus. In the Jewish tradition, The rabbi didn't choose you. You chose your rabbi that you would follow and you would take his yoke upon you and follow him and walk in the dust of the rabbi. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he chooses you. He calls you. Now, what does that mean? It means that at one point in everybody's life, and I really believe this, now this is some deep theology and I I know it takes more conversation than this, but I'll do the best I can in a short amount of time. Jesus said in John 12, 32, that I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. God told us in the scriptures that it is not his will that anybody should perish. Jesus says, in order for you to follow, he must call you. But when he's lifted up, 
he calls you. The cross calls us all to make a decision. But I believe that there's a window of time in everybody's life when the revelation of Jesus can be clearly seen. I don't know how long that window lasts. I think it varies in every life. But in every life, there is a window of time when the revelation of Jesus becomes a reality to you. And at that point, you have to make a decision whether you will follow him or reject him. As a matter of fact, it's going to be hard for most people to follow because of this. To a degree, advice about how to reach God is easier than the cross. Because if you're taking advice, then you're in control. You've made your little list. You've checked it twice. And you say to yourself, if I do all these things, God has to accept me. That's easier for a lot of people because you're still in control. You have to lose control when you say, I'm going to depend on Jesus and the cross of Christ to make me right with God. And there's a lot of people who know the ramifications. If I do that, that means I must give my life to Christ that I have bought with a price that I owe him everything because he's given me everything. And that's exactly what you find when Jesus calls Peter, James, John, Philip, Andrew. They leave their family and their friends right there in the boat. They do fish again and they do relate to their families again. But Jesus is clear. Once you decide to follow him, he gets absolute priority over everything else, over your family, over your career, over everything. How radical is it? According to Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Did you see this word hate? Wow. How many think that's fanatical? A little bit radical, a little bit crazy. What does he mean? Something doesn't make sense here because earlier he tells us to love our enemies. So let me get this straight. We love our enemies, but hate our family and friends. No, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the calling to hate comparatively. He's saying that I want you to follow me so fully, so intensely, so enduringly that all other attachments in your life look like hate by comparison. That as deeply as you love a parent, you love God more. As deeply as you love your own child, you love God more. As deeply as you love your own life, you love God more. Now, here's the question. Why does God call us to hate comparatively? Why does Jesus say, if you're going to be my disciple, I'm first and foremost. If you can't deal with that, forget it. And here's the reason why. Jesus will not be used as a means to an end. You see, when you're still working on the process of advice and you think that's how you get into the kingdom, then here's what you say to yourself. Well, if I live properly, Jesus owes me a good life. If I do all the things on the list, if I come to church and I tithe, then I expect no financial difficulties. I expect good health and vitality for all the days of my life. We see Jesus as a good luck charm for our career and our health and our family or to get the girl or to reach the goal or to reach a financial objective. And here's, here's the strange thing about it. Jesus does say that he wants to be involved in every area of your life, all of them. The only difference is he wants to be involved in them for his purposes. You want him to be involved for yours. And so of course he's interested in your career and he's constantly asking the question, Will your career advance the kingdom of God and the purposes in the world? And if it is, I think God gets involved. Sure, he wants to be involved in your health. But sometimes I think he allows us to get a little sick 
to open our eyes to the reality and the truth that this world is about not here and now, but then and there, the kingdom of God expanded through our lives. And sometimes we see things more clearly when we're ill than we do when we're well. Is he interested in your family? Yes. Is he, does he want to help you get the girl? Yes. If he thinks, first of all, that she's not out of your league. Second, <laughs> that by getting the girl, that it will strengthen your spiritual resolve, not take away from it. Do these things progress the kingdom of God in your life? The point is Jesus calls you and if you respond, he must be your goal so that knowing me, loving me, resembling me, serving me must become the supreme passion of your life. Everything else must become second. So the third distinction then is the gospel is a calling on your life to love Jesus and his mission in the world to such a degree that by comparison, it appears that you hate everything else. You with me? This is where you say yes together. All right. Which means if you're forced to choose between Jesus and wealth, if getting the wealth makes you sacrifice your integrity, you choose Jesus. If you're forced to choose between getting the deal, if getting the deal requires dishonesty and Jesus, you choose Jesus. If you're forced to choose between standing up for what is right and political correctness or popularity or notoriety or even financial security and Jesus, you choose Jesus every time. Now, that sounds a little drastic until you understand the fourth distinction. And this brings it all together. And it happens in verse 21. Now, this is going to require a little thought Verse 21, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Powerful passage. I'm going to put some photos. There's the first one on the screen. This is Alexander Cartwright. Do you know what he did? I'll give you a hint. People think it was Abner Doubleday, but it wasn't. It was Alexander Cartwright. He invented what? Baseball. Here's Dr. James Naismith. What did he invent? That's right. We have the Naismith Awards every year. And then you've got one more, Walter C. Camp, who invented what? Football. Football. That's right. He took rugby and made it into a real game. And so, <laughs> so what happens here? What happens? Here are these guys that invented the game, but not only the rule book, but they also invented strategies. Many of those strategies are still used today by some of the greatest coaches of how to play and win the game and play it successfully. Now, keep that in the back of your mind for a second. Now go back to the synagogue where Jesus stands up to teach. And in verse 22, the Bible says in Mark 1 that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. The Greek word authority means out of the original stuff. It's from the same root as the word author. So his listeners, when they heard Jesus speak and explain the story of their lives, they felt like they were listening to the one who invented life, the one who wrote the rule book on life, the one who strategized how to live a successful and abundant life, and they were taken back. Now, immediately, as soon as he makes this authoritative statement, look what he does in verse 29. They leave the synagogue. They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her. The fever left and she began to wait on them. Now, why this passage? I, I want you to notice there's a pattern in the book of Mark. Jesus makes an authoritative statement, a powerful statement, reads the word as if he's the creator of life. And all through Mark, you'll see him make authoritative statements and then immediately go out and heal somebody. Why does he do that? 
Because many religions will tell you, many faith systems will say, we can show you the way to God. But Jesus comes along and says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then immediately he goes out and makes someone well. Because if you claim to be God and the creator and sustainer and author of life, you better be able to back it up. And so to back it up, he immediately goes out and people start to see. The deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk. As a matter of fact, by the middle of the second chapter of the book of Mark, we have never seen anything like this, the people say. The deaf hear, the blind see, and the lame walk. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, yes, I'm the author of life. And yes, my calling on you is to call me and put me first in your life. But here's the good news. If you do that, you're going to find that all for which your heart longs and everything for which you've been searching, you will find in the road as you walk with me. You see, it's motivated out of love. Not that Jesus wants to be your big bad cosmic boss, but that he wants to show you that if you go his way and you follow the thread, you're gonna have the things for which your heart has always longed. I go back then to George MacDonald's book, The Princess and the Goblin, written over 150 years ago, where we find Irene, an eight-year-old girl who has discovered there's an attic in the house in which she lives. And from time to time, she's visited by her fairy grandmother. And she loves her fairy grandmother, but she notices sometimes when she goes to the attic, her fairy grandmother's not there. So on one occasion, when she sees her fairy grandmother, she lets her grandmother know of her disdain over the situation that sometimes when Irene is a little eight-year-old girl is afraid and fearful, she needs to be able to get in touch with her fairy grandmother. So her fairy grandmother gives her a ring with a string tied to it. And at the end of it is a big ball of string. And she says, the next time you feel afraid or concerned, I want you to take the ring off, put it under your pillow and use your thumb and forefinger and trace the string. And the little eight-year-old girl says, yeah, and it'll fi I'll find you, right, grandmother? And grandmother says, yes, but make sure, make no mistake, you must trust the thread. You must follow it wherever it leads because sometimes it will appear to be leading you in a roundabout way that makes no sense, but you must trust it. And little Irene says, I can't see it though. That's right, says the fairy grandmother. You can only feel it. A couple of days go by, Irene's in bed and she hears the goblins coming in. They're in the hallway snarling, but she has the presence of mind to take the ring off, put it under the pillow. And with her thumb and forefinger, she starts tracing the thread. She traces it out of the house and soon discovers that it's leading her straight, right, smack dab in the middle of the goblin cave. She's afraid. She's worried. And then it leads her into the cave to a pile of rocks, a dead end. She starts to cry. But she also has the presence of mind to turn around and start to try to go backwards. But as soon as she does, she can't feel the string anymore. But she doesn't know what to do. So finally, she starts digging through the rocks. And her hands are all bloodied and scarred. And she digs and she digs knowing this is the way her thread leads. And suddenly she hears the voice of her lost friend, Curdy. And Curdy says, it's me, it's me. How did you ever come to this cave? How did you ever find me? And her response is classic. She says, my grandmother led me here and now I know why. Curdy starts to climb out to safety. But Irene keeps going thicker and thicker into the rocks in the cave. And Curdy says, that's not the way out. I tried that. And Irene says, I know, but it's the way my thread goes and I must follow it. When Jesus told the disciples to follow him, they had no idea where they'd be going and neither do you. It is the great adventure. You have no idea where God will lead you, but Jesus says, don't give up, put me first. I know what I'm doing 
I'm using you for grand designs and grand purposes. Stay the course, even through disappointments and injustices, even when it looks like you're going a roundabout way, even when it looks like, what on earth am I doing here? Trust me, follow the thread, follow me, stay the course, keep the path. You know, just quickly, this illness that I've been going through that I've been sharing, very open and honest with you, uh, I can't tell you that I enjoy it at all. I hate it when those times come. But here's what I'm learned, and here's what I'm still learning. First of all, I do believe that when God is finished teaching me what he wants to teach me, that they will, this will pass. <laughs> Evidently, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I have been praying since the time I was 17 years old. And I heard a speaker, I have been praying that God would make me an effective communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ as I speak, as I live, and as I write. Almost every day of my life since I was 17. Just this past week, something dawned on me. You see, when I pray that prayer, what I want is a magical touch from the Savior with a magic wand all of a sudden turn me instantly into an effective communicator of the gospel as I speak and live and write. And it just dawned on me that Jesus is saying, okay, if that's the path that you want, there's going to be some hard times because the only way you can effectively communicate to people, my people, is to know their hurts, to know their pains, to know their sufferings which is why Jesus is the greatest communicator ever. See, you want Jesus just to touch you and give you what you want when you pray. He hears your prayers, but you've got to follow the thread because there's a grand weaver weaving the cords of your life together so that you'll end up exactly where he wants you. The way may seem troubled. It may seem that you're lost from time to time. It may even feel at times that God has abandoned you in the same way Jesus felt God had abandoned him. But on the other side is the power of the resurrection, and the power of new life. And nobody else offers that to you. It's a good start, but we're going to learn a lot in Mark. Father, thank you for the power of your word, and I thank you for your goodness. I pray right now in Jesus' name that uh, your spirit would fall on this place and that our lives would be changed, that our eyes would be open to your calling that we would know with certainty that you didn't come to give advice, but good news, that you didn't come to point us to a way, but you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you promise us if we will follow you all the days of our lives, that we will find everything for which our heart truly longs. And Father, I pray that you'd give us the courage as you map out the road and path before us to walk in it. And I pray again for everyone that is in a time in their life when they feel so abandoned, so alone, that you would remind them that you're there you're on the end of the thread to keep moving forward, to keep going. And who knows who we might rescue, who might be saved through our ministry. And even through our suffering, how you will work everything together for your good, for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray and are thankful. Amen. That's the end of Pastor Jeff's message, A Remarkable Calling. Next time, we'll have another message like this in the Remarkable series. Here's some of what's to come. 
Jesus wants to make sure that you're willing to allow him to go deep within you and change things about you that you never knew needed changing. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.